he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. Sometimes it's amazing thinking back how things have changed over the decades, particularly in the medical field and the advancements that happened 30 years ago. I, as a, as a child, had recurring kind of throat infections again and again and again. And uh, they finally determined that they were going to take my tonsils out, and I was going to have a tonsillectomy. And so uh, they did that, and that was an all-night stay. And I stayed there, and I remember my parents came with me, or or stayed at the hospital as late as they could before they had to go home. And I was nervous as I could be staying for the first time all night in a hospital, not with my folks, not with my family. But that evening, they stayed as long as they could, teach me how to play sorry, bringing me a sherbet and letting me uh, uh, have as much of that as I wanted uh, before and after. Uh, but it was an all-night event. Now you get your tonsils removed. It takes just a few minutes to do the procedure, and you're probably going home in just an hour or two, and they're just going to tell you go home and rest. And again, we see that uh, with all kinds of different things, operations that used to just take forever and open you up, sometimes now be done with like microscopic little, little marks and little tiny things going in. It's just amazing those kind of advances. And uh, in Leviticus today, we're going to hear what happens when you don't have any kind of advancement like that. When you, in fact, you don't even have a, a medical profession when the priest is the one who's going to look and make, make decisions. And so uh, we're at Leviticus chapter 13 today. And uh, now, now it's, it's always weird preaching from Leviticus, uh, but uh, this, this story is kind of lays a little bit of the backdrop for Uh, some of the encounters that we read in the Gospels today in Matthew. And so I want to read for you today from uh, Leviticus chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a, a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a leprous disease on the skin of his body, he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest, and the priest shall examine the disease On the skin of his body, if the hair on the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous disease. After the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him ceremonially unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall confine the diseased person for seven days. The priest sees that the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin, Then the priest shall confine him seven days more. The priest shall examine him again on the seventh day, and if the disease has abated and the disease has not spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him clean. If if in the skin the priest, uh, or it is only an eruption, he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the eruption spreads in the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest, and the priest shall make an examination If the eruption has spread in the skin, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. And I'm going to pause there. The rest of the next like 30-some chapters are more along those lines. How you inspect, how you clean, how you check. This is antiquities, infectious diseases protocol. Like, this is what's going to happen. And, this is, and it's all about how you're going to clean, how you're going to sterilize, how you're going to examine. They're going to make sure that they are ready to get back in society. Today, I am very thankful 
that the priest is not in charge of examinations anymore. I do not want to look at the marks on your skin. I'm not interested. That kind of grosses me out. If for some odd reason I'm in the mood, I'll just turn on Dr. Pimple Popper. Like, I just, I just, I just don't need that at all, right? But it made sense... In a society that was centered around the temple, a society in which regular temple gathering was a part of everyone in the population, that there was one person who saw you on a regular basis, who knew you. And that person was understood, that priest was understood to to be responsible for the health of the community. They were often praying for the health of the community, engaged in that. And so when an individual was sick or or not well, the priest, of course, would step in. And that made sense in an age prior to the medical profession. It seems weird for us to say that, but it kind of is. It seems weird to think of a time before doctors. I mean, even Luke is understood uh, as the disciple, as, as, as a kind of doctor, but even that's a thousand years after Leviticus. It seems weird for us to think of a profession that didn't exist. But in the 18th century, if uh, you wanted to see the dentist, do you know who you went to go see? You'd go see the barber, exactly. You'd go see the barber. There were no dentists. There wasn't a dental profession. It was their job. So, so can you imagine, uh, you know, I, I'd say to Jen, hey, Jen, I'm going to go see the barber. And she'd say to me, why? You don't have any hair. And I'd say, well, toothache. And she'd say, oh, okay, fine. Like, like, that just doesn't, like, doesn't make sense. Can you imagine the girl that cuts your hair, grabbing your chin hair, I'm going to cut this side of the ears. And if you winced when she turned your head, she'd be like, ooh, put down the scissors and grab the pliers. Like, that was, that was what it was like. There, was, there just wasn't that profession then. Uh, and so you would go to the barber for the toothache. And so also prior to the medical profession, people would go to the priest for their medical advice. I'm so glad that is not the case anymore. There's enough misinformation today coming from those outside the medical profession. I don't need to throw my hat into that. I just don't need to be a part of that. But the reason for their meticulous practices... This is how you're going to clean. This is how you're going to do. This is how you're going to quarantine for seven days and then seven days again. Were because they knew the risks involved. In the ancient world, with its concerns of how a disease could utterly wipe out their village, their civilization, in a world uh, where the average lifespan is already only in their 30s and 40s, and obviously their violence and war played a role in that, but so too did the lack of medicine lack of understanding of diseases and infections. There's no antibiotics. There's no antihistamines. There's no steroids, no painkillers, at least not not in pill form, and no understanding of microscopic viruses or bacteria, no vaccines. There is, there's just, the only way you're going to make sure is if you see something wrong, you're going to tell them to stay away. Or a disease or communicable infection could mean death for the entire village. And their precautions had to do with cleanliness, had everything to do with how do we, in our understanding, know that people have gotten sick or started not feeling well. And so it had to do with being clean, washing hands, determining which animals they could eat, how to cook their meat, whether you had had contact with blood before or with the dead, and finally whether or not it was visible, or as in Leviticus 13, Is it visible by growths or pus or flaky skin or losing your hair and those kinds of things? They wanted to know, okay, is this a sign of something more? (laughs) But 
Pay attention to the use of the word unclean here as well. He, said, he, he calls them unclean. In Leviticus, it uses this word a lot, the word unclean, to talk about those who are not well or to talk about those who are not yet ready to engage with the society practices of worship. In Leviticus, in this book alone, the word unclean is used a hundred times, more than a hundred times. In fact, it is used more in this book than the rest of the Bible combined, than all the other books of the Bible combined. And it's referring primarily to practices that should be avoided for the health of the community. But unclean will come to take on religious meaning as well. In Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10, there's kind of this, there's this inclusion of that, uh, there's this description of that which is holy or that which is common. And then there's this juxtaposition of clean and unclean. And so already there starts to be, to be this idea that, that to be clean is to be holy, to be common, to be not concerned with the holy is to be unclean. But it starts to develop through their history even more. But being clean or unclean takes on social dynamics as well because if you're determined unclean, as we saw a little bit in these first eight verses, hey, you're going to have to quarantine for a while. We're going to look at you. If we have any doubts, you're going to quarantine again. And so you are cut off. They were cut off from society if they were deemed unclean. But it would start to take on terms of holiness as well. This began in Leviticus primarily as a way of talking about whether or not you're safe, whether or not it will be safe for you around everyone else in the village. But as time continues, the term unclean will start to be associated all the more with holy. Because, I mean, this is kind of how it happens. It's like, okay, you're unclean, you can't be in our religious gatherings. You can't get drawn near to God, you are unclean. Only the clean can draw near to Him and be in His gatherings. And then as, as that progresses, it just meant more and more isolation. And more and more, the idea of clean was associated with holiness. And so even in the prophets, by the time we get to Isaiah, by the time we get to Jeremiah, the term unclean gets used by them to talk about their sin, to talk about how they're still living in sin and not living up to what God wants for them. The most popular prophetic kind of passage I think there is is Isaiah 6. It's probably the story we're most familiar with. Isaiah has a vision of the heavens open up, God, God appears, and, and there's an angel, and there's a tongs of fire, and, and, and God's voice says, who am I going to send? Who's going to go for me? And he's, he's asking for a witness to, to, the, to, the, to the people of God, to the nation of Israel. And Isaiah's words are this, woe is me, I am of people of unclean lips. Now, according to Leviticus, it would make us think, oh, well, he ate something he wasn't supposed to eat. But Isaiah isn't just saying, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that cold pizza that was out all night. (laughs) He's saying, he's not saying, oh, now I feel sick. He's saying, I am of a people who don't honor God with their lips. I I am of people who, who is not holy enough to speak what God wants to speak because my words have not always reflected God's words. That is what he means when he says, I'm a people of unclean lips. So already we see that progression where unclean is not just about health. It is also about closeness to God. And so you can imagine how this evolves in numerous ways. If the priest is the primary person who looks and determines whether you're clean or unclean, whether you're healthy or fit, to join them for worship and to be involved in the society gatherings, 
I can only imagine how this becomes a very powerful social political tool that the priests can have over the next few centuries as it will develop. In fact, I think we see an example of that in one of our gospel readings. When the Pharisees and the teachers of law who are intimidated by the gathering of followers that Jesus is getting and the influence that he's getting, and they look at him, they're like, oh, we got to get him on something. Oh, his disciples aren't washing their hands. Got it. And now this becomes a tool by which hopefully they can ostracize Jesus' disciples and Jesus himself and get back the gatherings of people that are following him. And so this law becomes kind of a tool, a resource for them to get what they want. And so this, this already has given us a hint that when Jesus responds to them and says it's not what goes in that makes you unclean and borrows the idea of the prophets, it's what comes out that makes you unclean. We already get the idea that Jesus has a lot more to say about this. And I want to say more about that too, but before I do, I'm going to read a, a, a little bit more from Leviticus. We're going to read the kind of the last precaution, the last kind of this is what you need to do, but then it, but at, or the, this is the last thing you need to check for. And then after we read the last thing they, they, they said to check for, it leads right into, and this is how you're going to act. So let's go to Leviticus chapter 13, verse 40. If anyone loses the hair from his head, he is bald, but he's clean. If he loses the hair from his forehead and temples, he has baldness of the forehead, but he's clean. Like, I just want to pause for a moment. Anyone else read Leviticus sarcastically like that? <laughs> like, are you just punking me here? Like, are you just messing with me here? But if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white disease spot, it's a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead, the priest shall examine him. If the disease swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, which resembles a leprous disease in the skin of the body, he's leprous, he's unclean. The priest shall pronounce him unclean. The disease is on his head. The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes. Let the hair of his head be disheveled, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, so there's a whole list in Leviticus 13 of all the different checks, and we ended with the last one, the baldness, which I think he's just punking them. But, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I mean look, at, look, at, look at the first thing he says that they need to do. If you're, this, is, this is how you're going to act. Once you've realized the priest has said, you've tested positive, you've got the disease, this is what you're going to do. You're going to uh, wear torn clothes, and you're going to let the hair of your head be disheveled. Like, why did you mention baldness way before? You, you, you begin with this, they can't even follow the law. They don't have any hair to dishevel. And so, like, right off the bat, like, people like me are just left out of the loop. But no, he says, uh, this is what you're going to do. You're going to wear torn clothes. And that seems kind of weird for us today, right? Like, how am I, like, we, we don't want to wear torn clothes, but it is clothes that you can get disease, you can get sick on. If you bleed on it or anything else that happens with sickness happens, it doesn't matter. It's, it's okay. Um, if you've ever been in the hospital and, and they've given you one of those gowns and you felt a breeze, you're wearing torn clothes. <laughs> you're following Leviticus. You are, you are in compliance, right? It's because you have to be able to wear stuff. It doesn't matter if it gets sick, if you get sick on, if it gets messy, or that people can access the wounds that are there. It, it just makes sense. You need to be able 
to be able to work towards healing. And you're not hiding it. When he says, don't have your, don't have your hair disheveled, he's like, you're not hiding it. If you have the positive test, don't pretend like you don't. The whole village is at risk here. We have to be careful. And so he goes on in verse 45 uh, about, uh, about this as well. And so uh, they shall cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. I found myself thinking, okay. He didn't just say cover your mouth. People say, okay, we guys said cover your upper lip. And I read this. I'm like, wait a minute. Is this the first recorded mask mandate? Like, what is this? And then cry out, unclean, unclean. And they have to cry it out because we've learned you can't hear otherwise. they got to get loud. you got to let them know, hey, you can't come near. And, and with that, you're going to be separated. When you're sick, when you're diseased, there's a time, that's the time in which you get separated. But as we imagine... From this scene, getting to the scene of the teachers of the law calling out Jesus for his disciples eating with dirty fingers, we see that this this whole passage about trying to preserve and care about and living in such a way that you care and love for your neighbors and your community around you can get morphed and warped into a, I'm going to tell you where you belong. And I'm going to tell you whether or not you're good enough or whether or not you're holiness or holy enough. And so when we compare Jesus' behavior, Jesus, who is the representation, indeed the full embodiment of God here on earth, when we look at his life and when he, when he interacts with people who are sick, when he interacts with people who have issues, what often happens is it will say he reaches out and he touches them and they are healed. Or, off, or, or uh, for a blind person, he takes mud and he puts it on their eyes. He gets close and he touches them. He crosses the barrier of trying to stay away. What we start to learn through this, through Jesus' behavior, is that the grace of God always transgresses and is always greater than the fears of a society worried about it falling apart, worried about securing itself. And in particular, the grace of God always transcends the kinds of things that happen that push people to the margins, that push people to the extremes, the edges, to, to the edges of society because they're not good enough, they're not holy enough, they're not healthy enough, they're not whole enough. Jesus meets those who are sick and now who don't measure up who have been told you're unclean, you're unworthy, you can't draw near to God right now, who has been told they don't deserve to be among the people trying to be holy. And he touches them. And he transgresses that boundary. And he says, God's grace is here for you. There was a, there was a phrase, I did not hear this growing up, but I heard about it. I had a Sunday school teacher who once asked us to look for this this saying in the Bible, because he had heard it a lot growing up, and maybe you did too, um, and, 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 and telling the story. I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, I heard that phrase before. He said, hey, I want you to look in the Bible for the phrase, cleanliness is next to godliness. Can you look for that, that phrase? It was a phrase he had actually heard a lot as a kid, cleanliness is next to godliness. But as we learned, is a phrase that actually doesn't show up as a verse in the Bible. Now, I think it might have served as a good summation of the book of Leviticus or something, but not a verse. It's not, it's not a phrase that actually shows up in Scripture. And so he used it as a way of saying that sometimes there are expectations, sometimes there are things said 
that indicate to us what it means to draw close to God or what we have to do to draw close to God. And I think sometimes, whether we've heard that phrase or something else, we've heard things been told to us that tells us this is what it means to be godly. Maybe it's what words you listen to, the kinds of movies you watch, or the music we dance to, or are you dancing? How are you dancing? Or or maybe it's the clothes you're wearing. Or if you go to one of our beaches, what's your swimsuit look like? Right? We have all these kinds of descriptions of uh, if it doesn't meet our parameters, you're not clean. You're not close to God. You are someone who gets pushed off because of what you do or what you have done. But what we find in the story in the life of Jesus is that he always meets them precisely where they are even when they are rejected where they have been told and we have been told you're not holy enough, you're not good enough, you don't measure up. And he's always reaching out to touch us that God's grace would come and inhabit precisely where we are, that his touch will bring healing, reconciliation, a place of belonging. It's his way of saying, hey, they might say you don't belong in their camp, but you belong in God's camp and he has a place for you. God's grace is always where we are, even when at the margins. That what God shows is that His grace doesn't say, you have to measure up before you can meet me. I want to be where you are because that's how much I love you. And perhaps God's grace will help shape and form us and and we will respond by saying, okay, but I don't want to live in the ways that separate me from you anymore. But yet God's first move is always, I want to be where you are. I love and I care for you and I want my grace to work and change your life. This is indeed the story of the gospel. The story of a gospel that says, let us not forget the point of the laws such as we might find in Leviticus that are about we are indeed called to love our neighbor and to take every, every precaution necessary to do that. But if we ever get to a point where we start saying you're worthy and you're not worthy, we have completely missed the point. And God has said, my grace has always gone to those who never were good enough. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. And every week when we have communion, I say about these elements. I say about the bread, this is the, bro- this is the body of Christ broken for you. And I say about the juice that we have, I say this is the blood of Christ which was spilled for you. And according to Leviticus, to draw near to a broken body or spilled blood is precisely to become unclean, is precisely to become unworthy of drawing near to God. It is precisely that which marks us. But yet... God in His grace has said, there will be no separation between my love and you. And precisely uses that which had always been deemed as unholy and says, I will work through that indeed to bring my grace and my salvation to where you are. God transgresses the boundaries that are placed and promises to dwell with us precisely through the broken body and spilled blood and invites us into his grace saying, I want you in my camp. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you 
for your grace. I thank you that, uh, your, you that your love, that your power, that your mercy, that everything about who you are, while so great, while so transcendent, while so much more than we can ever believe or imagine or ask, does not stay, stay separated that you have decided in all of your majesty and all of your power that it would be manifested in a desire and a willingness to be with your creation. What grace, what love that you would decide everything that makes you different than your creation would not separate us from you. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that grace. And it is my hope and it is my prayer that we will live this week in obedience and in a, in a desire to love our neighbor as ourselves. indeed to, to, to reach out and be as responsible as we can be, but yet to love those who have been pushed aside, to care for those who have been moved to the margins, who have been forgotten, are just ignored. That Heavenly Father, even there, your love and your grace abounds. And today, Lord, if there are any here that are watching or sitting here today who have recognized or felt kind of separated or estranged from you, Lord, may we remember that you have indeed made the first move and you are welcoming us into your family, into your camp, into your future. that you are working in our life. Thank you again. We pray for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.